thinking of future generations and the decisions that we make now is crucial and necessary. Since its inception, generations of youth have gravitated to hip-hop. The genre has been the platform for young people to express their art. And we see this in our communities around the world, specifically in Native America, and how hip-hop culture relates to Native life. That's how we should be as a people. Help each other, encourage each other, acknowledge each other. And in that, you can give somebody hope to keep moving forward in a good way. From Minnesota to Alaska, we follow eight Native American MCs in this four-part series. Their dynamic voices carry insight and raw emotion as they share their stories. From Indigify, I'm Alexis Salih. This is Definition of Resilience. While traveling the country on this musical journey, surprisingly, one of my favorite stops was in Oklahoma City, visiting rapper Keese IMC. I'd never been to Oklahoma and didn't know what to expect. Sure, it's part of the Bible Belt, which I figured when we passed the giant lit up cross downtown. But getting to know Keese and being introduced to his native community and local hip hop scene, it was clear to see the support the people there have for each other. As a kid, we'd always go to Pawnee in the summertime. My grandma, that's where I get my uh, Pawnee blood. Her name was Leota Little Eagle. And she was uh, Skeety, and that's the wolf band of the Pawnee. And being around the culture, you know, the, the tribe, the dances, the language, it always stuck with me, you know, that I was, I was different. At a young age, I was always balancing my love for my culture being native. And as also a young kid that loved hip hop, for some reason there was a natural balance. And I believe it's because, you know, our culture, our way of life comes from a, a place of balance. And I believe hip hop at its root comes from a place of balance. Keese took us to his Pawnee reservation, where we got to see him do a workshop with kids on music and culture. Something that really struck me about him was his knowledge of indigenous history and the way he sings traditional songs. Our music as indigenous people, our cultural and spiritual and ceremonial songs, they've always been with us. They're songs that have always carried us through the hardships of this system. And so our ancestors used our music to heal us, to push us forward. And those songs have been translated in many ways within our own personal indigenous life. And for me, whenever I sing a song like When those songs come from my spirit, knowing that our ancestors used those songs through times of pain and hardship, I take those songs and I put that energy, that spiritual energy, the prayer of those songs into my music. Why I always 
felt comfortable mixing those two, the tribal and the hip hop, I found out why. Because our songs play a part of this historic, these historical accounts of music going back to our traditional songs, you know, going back to the native wars, the Seminole Wars, when they were being removed, they were singing these songs on these trails, you know, they call them the trails of tears. They were singing these songs because so many of our ancestors were dying along the way. Children were dying along the way. You know, grandmas and grandpas were dying along the way. And all we had was these songs, you know, to carry us on. So whenever our relatives, they say that whenever our relatives, our black allies would hear these songs, these melodies, it would move them. And so what I was told is that, that from those traditional tribal songs came the old church black Negro spirituals. And from those came, they say, blues. From that came jazz. From that came funk and soul and R&B. And then from that came hip hop. So I think about that, a history that people don't know because it's not written down by white men. But this is a history that we know as indigenous people, our oral history of this music. We are a part of it, even though it's not written down. Keese feels a deep connection to traditional music and also sees clearly how it influenced African-American traditional music, which made its way to hip-hop. Keese continues here about how characteristics of Native music were popularized. Just like with the United States military, when they would fight our ancestors, they say they would have fear. The soldiers would have fear in their hearts when they would hear the, the Seminoles, you know, or the Creeks, out in the Everglades or in the woods singing their, their war songs. You, ooh, hey, call and response. You, hey, you, hey, call and response songs that these white people would hear. And they knew that when they heard those songs off in the Everglades or in the woods, they knew that the attack, the battle was on. So they would look around. Where are they coming from? Guerrilla warfare tactics by the Seminole people. They didn't know where they were coming from looking around, scared, because they knew they were going to get attacked from however many directions. And then the, then the warriors would just disappear in the Everglades. And these white people would be laying dead. And the ones that survived would be like, how did they do that? Where did they come from? What is this type of fighting technique? Is it tied to these songs? Do these songs have some sort of meaning or power? Do these songs give them power? And then you look at the United States military. They knew. And so that's why they took these songs from our ancestors. And if you go to the military and you do your cadence, sound off, sound off, bring it on down, bring it on down. This is where they come from, our ancestors. But you won't see that written down. But we don't need the acknowledgement of their written paper. We are the thoughts that create the movements that make those writings because we are connected to the ancestors and the star people and creator. And that's why we're connected to hip-hop. In the 90s, Keese created an event called Culture Shock with his brother and friends. It was something they couldn't find anywhere else, where hip-hop and indigenous sounds could fuse together. Now, I always wondered why these songs had so much spirit and so much soul and why they blended or mixed so well with hip-hop. Whenever I would do that, back in the 90s when I was mixing tribal music, with hip-hop or with breakbeats. People thought it was crazy, but then there were a few people that were like, yo, that is dope. That is different. I'm thankful that I have documented it all these years to say, yeah, this is what we were doing back then. Before it had an opportunity. 
but the opportunity was us. And how long we carry that opportunity is, is like, how long are we carrying that medicine bundle? So that in time, it'll have life and in time, it'll have a renewal. And that's what this indigenous hip hop is. It's a renewal of what hip hop used to be, of how it inspired me in the beginning. But I feel like indigenous hip hop is bringing that healing, that life back to hip hop. Yeah, all right y'all. Put your fists up like this one time, my people. It only takes one time to figure it out. Hands up if you know what we talking about. All my people, when you're walking and you're living in doubt. When you talk about peace, you talk about the cloud. The battle is not over, the struggle just begun. Whenever you're walking, keep your head up to the sun. Square up with opposition, stand up for triple threat. If you ain't coming right, you better come correct. Keese recalls what motivated him to find a place in the hip-hop community. In Oklahoma, there was not really a community for native hip-hop artists. It wasn't until later that consciousness of us saying, well, man, we're native. You know, we're indigenous artists, hip-hop artists, DJs. Let's represent that. Like, we have a story. Just how, like, I was moved by our Black relatives, our Black allies' story of struggle in the Bronx, you know, as well as our brown relatives in the Bronx of how hip hop was created, created from youth that were struggling, you know, to tell their story and, and have a voice. Well, we have that as indigenous people, but we were like in the nineties, like, man, we got a story, let's tell our own story. So we started, you know, telling our stories of being indigenous hip hop artists about where we come from, our struggle, our survival, you know, but we wanted to show our relevance with hip hop. We are a part of hip hop. Keese described his close friends to us as brothers from other tribes. I stepped into my first teepee as his brother was setting up for a birthday ceremony happening that night. Being on Pawnee land, I was reminded of a time when people weren't allowed to speak their language, when their culture was being stripped away. The buildings from the boarding school era were still there, being reused for new purposes in the community. Near the end of my visit in Oklahoma, I experienced my first sweat ceremony in Keese's backyard, despite my claustrophobia. He guided us through it, told stories, I connected with people I'd never met before, and the sweat felt very cleansing. It was a beautiful way to round out our trip. Spending time with Keese opened my eyes to a lot. He had so much passion about his culture and his music. Something about his energy made me feel more connected spiritually. This Pawnee land, you know, I feel in my heart you know, this is what we have left of a time, you know, when our ancestors were removed from our ancient homeland, which is in Nebraska. And so we know in these stories that when they had to make that journey to Oklahoma during that removal, they were torn and broken because of that. And so when I go out there, you know, and think of these little pieces of land that our ancestors were allotted, we hold this land, you know, what we have left, you know, close to our heart, knowing that in our heart, our homeland is still there. And one day we'll go back to our ancient homeland and we'll pray and we'll have ceremonies and we'll swim in the, the rivers just like our ancestors did. Kalina Lawrence is a vocalist and MC from the Suquamish Reservation in Washington. We visited her there at her parents' house. She showed us around the reservation and took us to the community house. Kalina told us about canoe culture and what it meant to her to take part in their traditional canoe journeys growing up. 
The area was gorgeous, full of trees, and there were even eagles flying above us. Think of the generations who Culture for me actually was not just like a spiritual healing, but it was a physical representation of stability that I didn't have in my home life. I had gotten invited on my first canoe journey when I was seven, and being in the canoe and learning the Coast Salish songs definitely really stuck with me. And listening to all of the elders up and down the coast when we would stop at different communities, it was pretty obvious to me that I had that connection spiritually. I mean, I've been on every canoe journey since I was seven and it happens annually. Who I am today is based off of the access that I had to our culture throughout my childhood and into my teenage years too. We got to see Kalina perform her first big hit, Generations, at a show she held for her Suquamish community. The song focuses on the importance of supporting future generations. In that spirit, Kalina had 14-year-old Little Dea write a verse for the track. We are trying to figure out creative ways to implement our indigenous teachings, which in many of our indigenous cultures, thinking of future generations and the decisions that we make now is crucial and necessary. You can go back in history and you can read Chief Seattle's speech or the words of other chiefs in different regions and all of them speak to that. Kalina is an artist with a conscience. She's not just making music to make music. She's definitely about the message. She's passionate about the youth being our future leaders and that the things we do today impact the world and future generations. The work you've done, you don't know how far I've come. Should've told me at age six that my life was gonna change. People got me pegged for rude, but I'm just trying not to cave. Daddy left when I was six, system held both of us. Mama played both parts, it broke both What we see in a lot of U.S. culture and colonial society is a lack of thinking of what decisions that are going to be made are not including what could possibly take place for people two or three generations down the road. What can we do now that will impact them in a way that strengthens their identity? No black snakes, no pipeline, racist hate, no costumes, and no chains. Any outlet that you love, stand up and make a change. Not for the money and the fame, for the generations we create. I think that song was really about her. And her name is Dea, by the way, Mireya, but her stage name is Dea. And she, she did it like beyond expectations. If all I had to do was give one verse to one young person, and watch that grow and watch that blossom, that's kind of what it comes down to. From there, I think it's not really in my control anymore because the message goes to whoever it's meant to go to. My message is that we've been kind of conditioned to think of youth as being naive and they don't have enough life experience to know what they're talking about when that's entirely false. I think that's like one of the biggest myths that exist in our society. And 
So not only am I saying think of the generations, but what does it mean to actually bring a voice in, not censor them, but give them full range and autonomy to speak up for themselves? And a lot of times they're underestimated, but in my experience of working with youth, that's where so much brilliance is. That's where so many social movements have started is with young people. Kalina describes how growing up in foster care forced her to grow up fast and adapt to whatever situations life put her in as she moved from place to place. She was guided by teachers and mentors and turned on to poetry, which inspired her to channel her experiences into something positive. My fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Dressler, was the one who introduced me to poetry. So I started writing poetry in fifth grade and it changed my life in a way that provided me like an outlet I had not had before. Kind of also released that pain that I had gone through up until that point. She shared this spoken word piece about witnessing her parents' substance abuse. We recorded it live at the Kiana Lodge on her Suquamish reservation. Curious three-year-old indigenous eyes, my legs were wrapped around the waist of my strung-out mom when I saw his back staggering up the hill out of our driveway, and that was it. He was drunk then. Nothing could heal him, not even his children. Eight-year-old hands cleaned the house of yet another foster home, thrust the beer cans to the bottom of the wastebasket, followed by my tears. Their drunk may have been casually innocent, but each release from my grasp reminded me that his was blatant repetition. It took me back to the day he walked away. Thirteen-year-old heart arrhythmic when my first love cheated and alcohol made the threesome complete. He was gulping away his adolescence in exchange for my already tainted trust. Took me back to the day he walked away. Sixteen-year-old lungs yell as two intoxicated friends threaten to open the door and jump for no reason that they could even comprehend. While my designated hands steered down the road, that night they too tried to leave right in front of me. Back to the day he walked away. Eighteen-year-old body no longer seated in the courtroom beside my fifth half-assed foster care caseworker. The judge so relieved. I made it roughly 6,570 days without a drop of liquor, poisoning my spirit like they so often see in the case of a human without a home. The day he walked away. I had a really, really, really challenging and traumatic childhood. I didn't have a lot of outlets to process through the trauma that I had gone through. As many people who have grown up in that, in that reality have experiences like, not just why me, but why am I not worthy? Or why is the substance of choice for my parents more important than being present in my life? And those were the types of questions that I asked myself growing up that I never always had answers to. 21-year-old ears heard the same old observation. You mean to tell me you can finally buy your own alcohol and you don't drink? That's crazy. I would laugh it off and let them keep their own socially constructed, colonized concepts while I withheld the tears and wondered what was really crazy. 7,665 sober indigenous days being reminded he walked away. 
22-year-old res girl turned student in San Francisco, best city in the world, bars on every street, not much different from the res, not much different from my peers always asking, why don't you drink? Always replying, it's just not for me. Walked away. Confident 23-year-old lips currently 8,395 days without kissing the rim of a container occupied by toxic stereotypes of my indigenous people. But isn't there a correlation between natives and alcoholism? Yes. The correlation is that colonizing fathers walked in, then colonized fathers who walked away from fathers, walked away from fathers, and their daughters now explain to every homeless spirit why she stays away from alcohol. Kalina took us to her biological mother's house when we were in Suquamish and introduced us to her mom. It wasn't very far from where her parents lived, the people who raised her, probably not more than a mile away. I couldn't help but think how hard it must have been for her being raised by foster parents so close to her biological parents. Despite that, she formed such a fierce sense of independence. Since age 14, she's been an activist. She studied performing arts and social justice at the University of San Francisco and recently graduated with honors. So growing up in the foster care system is definitely a huge part of my identity and it's also a testament to me because one of the things that I had to figure out was I could either make decisions and learn from them and or I could learn from other people's decisions. But in a way that was saying, okay, I see the consequences of those decisions and I don't want those for myself. And always giving myself like autonomy in what I chose to like focus my time and energy on. I had to learn how to contextualize my struggle. There was a level of self-independence, self-reliance, I think, that I had to attain in order to continue to push through that struggle. One of the things that I have always been grateful for is the like skill of adapting that I was able to learn in going to different households, different structures, different family dynamics, and always having to fit in if I wanted to like focus in on who I was and who I wanted to become. Kalina's music allowed her to develop from someone who was able to get by to someone who was able to triumph over her circumstances. She made it on her own using the strength of her own observations, succeeding beyond the cards she was dealt. Her experiences help her to stand up for and relate to youth who are searching for guidance. Broken home, hurtful past, crowded classrooms too. Testing times, pushing back, cut out after... I thought about the ways that I've always not just tried to survive, but I've actually chosen survival instead of choosing to thrive. When that registered to me that I didn't have to accept the ways that society usually abandons foster children. 
These are all the things that I've been through that could have easily defeated me. But I also have that self-will and the choices to not accept that. Open chest us to sing no fear of being loud. Seven billion. And being able to tell my story through the tool of music is is definitely like a blessing. Songbird, songbird, you yeah, essential cause you're unafraid of empathy. For anyone who is struggling to know that feeling is necessary, even when it's not pleasurable and even when we don't desire it, there's information in our actions of feeling. You're only going to gain so much knowledge and so much strength through that heartache and you're building your resilience and you're also building onto the resilience of your ancestors and the people who came before you, who have also sacrificed and really pushed through times when they might not have wanted to. So not to be afraid of the information that comes with the struggles and not to be afraid of the act of feeling because that's what makes us human. Keese invited us to a culture shock event when we were in Oklahoma. We got to experience the beautiful celebration of these shows. All cultures of people coming together for the love of hip-hop. Keys hosted and performed along with other local b-boys and DJs. By the end of the evening, he brought up his drum and sang a round dance song. His sister led the crowd in holding hands together, one by one, to join in the round dance. I feel in my heart it's always good when you see these teepees on our Pawnee land. You know, and knowing other Idadis, other brothers from different tribes, travel to our land and run ceremony. Just like my Idadi Cheevers, he's Kiowa in Navajo. And he's over here on Pawnee land because he has kinfolk, relatives that are Pawnee. And you look at that and you realize that love we have for each other. To see my Idadi here in Pawnee doing the ceremony for his nephew, his birthday meeting, makes my chiksu feel dudahe makes my heart feel good because that's how we should be as a people help each other encourage each other and acknowledge each other and in that you can give somebody hope to keep moving forward in a good way Culture Shock event was a really amazing thing to witness. The traditional round dance breaking out at a hip-hop show created a celebration like nothing I'd ever seen before. Hearing about canoe journeys from Kalina and the guidance she receives from her ancestors was inspiring in a similar way. These artists are connecting to something greater than themselves, something that happens when we come together as a people. From Oklahoma City to Washington, Visiting with both of them left me with a sense of community and tribe.
Definition of Resilience is produced by me, your host, Alexis Salee, and associate producer, Jessica Streitfeld. This has been a documentary production from Indigify. Thank you to the communities and indigenous territories that let us film and record on their land. Music by Keese IMC and Kalina Lawrence. Definition of Resilience is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts on the web at arts.gov, the Siri Foundation, Margaret Casey Foundation, Progressive and Social Justice Fund of the Alaska Community Foundation, Atwood Foundation, Cook Inlet Tribal Council, and Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.